How many of you are grateful for the love of God that rescued you? Man, what a powerful time of worship that was. And if you're new with us here today, welcome. My name is Pete. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor. I want to welcome those of you tuning in online as well. And before I dive into the message today, I just want to remind everyone that if you're a part of our church family, uh, with it being the start of a new month, this Thursday is the first Thursday of the month, which means it's time for First Thursday Prayer. We've had to cancel a couple of these over the summer because of the construction that was happening out in the foyer, uh, but I'm excited now that that has mostly been completed, that we are able to resume having First Thursday Prayer. So this Thursday at 6 o'clock, uh, I want to invite my church family to come out and join us as we continue to seek God and ask him to keep pouring out his Holy Spirit and keep sending the lost and that we would keep seeing people come to know Christ and be set free and find purpose, healing, and hope through Jesus Christ. And so that's this Thursday at 6 o'clock. I look forward to seeing you there. Well, as you just heard Rich say, uh, we're in the series called Making Change, all about money and stewardship, which I know makes a lot of people really uncomfortable to, to talk about this in church or to hear a preacher talk about this because, let's face it, there are some uh, weird, off-base, crazy, you know, false teaching, just to put it plainly out there when it comes to finances and all of that stuff. But really what we're wanting to do is to equip you to, to really make some changes to the way you view and handle the resources that God has entrusted to us. We would all like to do better with our finances, but in order to make changes to the balance you see you know, on your bank account every month, we've got to make changes to the way we approach you know, this topic of money using God's word as the basis for how we do that. Uh, and so in week one, we learned the very important and foundational lesson that God's, God owns everything. He's the owner, and we are the stewards. Then last week, we had Joe Sangle come. How many of you guys enjoyed Joe last week? Man, that was awesome. Very entertaining and engaging speaker, um, and he helped us answer the question, what, what really happens when we give? And we learned three things that happen. Number one, we honor God, first and foremost. Number two, we bless others. And number three, we ourselves are blessed when we give. But today, what I wanna do is talk about what happens after we give, all right? So we've learned that, you know, God gets the first fruits, but then does he really care about what we do with what's left over? That's what we're gonna talk about today. Like, the message today is titled, um, Be a Part of the Story. Be a Part of the Story. Because I believe, as we've learned, that because God owns everything, that he does, in fact, really care about what we do with what's left over after we've given him the first fruits. And so to illustrate this or to teach this principle today, I want to uh, look at a parable that Jesus told in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn, uh, turn there right now if you want to follow along. Uh, to start, I want to summarize the parable, and then we'll break it down verse by verse to learn what we can, uh, to see what we can learn about how to handle uh, the money that God entrusts to us. So in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, Jesus tells the parable basically of a wealthy landowner who goes away for a long time, and in his absence, he entrusts all of his wealth to three servants. To one servant, he gives five bags of gold. To a second servant, he gives two bags of gold. And to the third servant, he gives one bag of gold. Now, the servants that received five bags and two bags each went out and put it to work and doubled their money. The one that received only one bag buried his bag. 
And it went really well for the two that doubled their money. It didn't really go so well for the servant who buried his bag of money. So Jesus teaches this parable using money to kind of illustrate a a lesson because he knew that all of his audience listening and those of us that are reading this story 2,000 years later would all be able to relate because every single one of us has to handle money. In every culture, at every time period on the planet, there's always this understanding of currency. And and so that's really my first point today is to understand that we all have to deal with money. Rich, poor, young, old, male, female, doesn't matter where you're from. We all have an understanding of needing to go to work, having to pay bills, having these responsibilities. And while it might be intimidating for some people, it might cause a lot of people stress. When some people hear you know, someone talking about money, it's oftentimes like the teacher from Charlie Brown. It's like, wah, 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 wah. Like, we don't hear anything. It just sounds like mumble jumble to us, right? It's confusing for a lot of people. And myself included, I'm not ashamed to admit that there have been times where I didn't understand how money works, and my wife as well. Uh, we were talking about it earlier this week, about times that we've been confused about money, and when uh, as you know, some of, some of you have heard her story. Her father passed away when she was really young. She was like 11 years old when her dad died. And before he got sick, he, had, he was seriously injured on the job. And as a result, wound up with a, a fairly large financial settlement. And when he passed away, that settlement was distributed to his widow and his three girls as an inheritance. Well, because they were minors, it was placed into a custodial account to trust that a financial advisor was appointed to manage and steward and invest to, to make it grow. And as, you know, throughout her teen years, nobody ever really sat down with her and explained to her, you know, what this was. And in, even into her 20s, uh, when we were preparing to get married, uh, and she told me about this inheritance that she had received, I, I started asking her questions like, how much interest does it earn? I don't know. What's it invested in? Is it stocks, mutual funds, bonds? I don't know. Nobody's ever told me. All I get is this statement every month, and it's just been weird to me, a little concerning, that every month the number at the bottom, you know, showing my balance just keeps going down and down and down each month. And when we got married, we made the decision to pull that money out and use it as the down payment for our first home purchase together, which was a wiser, you know, financial decision because that was an appreciating asset. But she was confused because no one ever explained to her what this money was and where it was being invested and how it was being stewarded. And I myself, as recently as five years ago, had a time where I was really kind of confused and clueless about money. I got caught up in the craze of, how many of you have heard of cryptocurrency? Bitcoin? All right, so, you know, it's still around and... You know, I had heard that the dividends and the returns, like, were insane. And I didn't know anything about it, though. I still don't really understand how it all works. But I had a friend approach me that I trusted who told me about this company that was helping people get in on Bitcoin. And so my wife and I discussed this, and we decided to take some of our savings and invest it into Bitcoin, even though we knew nothing about it. And I was totally confused about how it all worked not knowing that this third-party company that was kind of like the middleman was, were basically, it turns out, scam artists, and I wound up losing my entire investment in Bitcoin. We lost like $1,700 as recently as five years ago. I was clueless. And that really describes, for a lot of people, their whole like, understanding of money and how it works. And when you're not knowledgeable about money, 
and you hear someone who is knowledgeable about money talk about money, it's kind of like hearing and attempting to answer this question. Here's the question. If you're in a canoe with four flat tires paddling down the middle of a cornfield, how many pancakes does it take to cover a doghouse? Let me repeat the question. If you're in a canoe with four flat tires paddling down the middle of a cornfield, how many pancakes does it take to cover a doghouse? There is an answer. You want to know the answer? It doesn't matter because chickens don't eat ice cream anyway. And when you don't know about money and you're confused about it, it can be a lot like, you know, this thing where either the, qu the question and the answer don't make any sense to you at all. It's all a foreign, it's like Greek to you. It's just completely foreign concept. So in this series, regardless of how we talk about money, regardless of how you understand money or not, I think we can all agree we all have to deal with money on some level. We all have to make a paycheck. We all have to pay bills. And so that's what this series has been about. We've learned that we're to honor God with the first fruits of all that he entrusts us with. And frankly, that's where a lot of churches stop their conversations and their sermons about money. They teach, you should give and God will bless you. Period, end of story. And that's all true, but as we learned in week one, God owns everything. So we have to do a better job in the church of helping people understand that it's not just about the first 10%. God cares a whole lot about what we do with the balance that's left over after the 10%. And so as your pastor, I want you to know that our heart for you is that you would win with everything God has entrusted to your care, both through your giving and through your godly management of what is left over after you give. That's what our heart is for you in this series. I firmly believe that you can do exactly and everything that God has put in your heart to do, regardless of your income potential. But if you're going to realize the plans, hopes, and dreams that God has put in your heart, we have to look at and apply what God has told us in his word about how we handle the money that he entrusts to us. And we have to recognize that he has given us everything we need which brings me to the second point today, which is that God has blessed each one of us. God has blessed each of us. And some of you might sit here and think, well, I wish he would have blessed me more because I seem to struggle all the time. But maybe, maybe you need to have a bigger picture of how much God has blessed you with. Because if you go home and you have a toilet that flushes your stuff away, you're more wealthy than 97% of the world. If you don't wonder where your next meal is coming from because you have a fridge at home that has food in it, you're blessed. If you have a closet full of clothes, you're blessed. If you have a car that gets you from point A to point B, you don't realize how blessed you are. God has blessed each one of us. We've got to recognize that. And so let's look at this parable that Jesus gives starting in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25. He's talking about the kingdom of God and he says again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag. Now say these next five words with me. Each according to his ability. 
We have to keep that in mind as we continue our conversation today. That's a very important principle to understand. That he distributed his wealth to these servants, each according to their ability. And then the master went on his journey. So I don't know if you see it, but there's a secret locked up right in these first two verses as Jesus introduces this parable. If you want more money to manage, increase your ability to manage what he's already given you. And as God sees that he can trust you with what he's put in your hands, he will entrust more to you. And so how do you increase your ability or your capacity to manage what you have better? Seek godly counsel. Get wisdom. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. We need to be seeking out people who know more about money than we do and asking them to speak into our lives and teach us the principles of what is insurance and why do I need it and how much do I need and investment and how do I pay off debt. Like many advisors, I would venture to say that probably the majority of us don't really have, if we have one advisor helping us manage our money, it's a lot. So go to classes, get educated. That's why we're offering the I Was Broke, Now I'm Not small group study starting next Tuesday, September 12th. I was excited after the financial learning experience last Sunday night that Joe Sangle held that we had 30 people sign up for the class. And after the first service this morning, we're up to over 50 now. But I know that a lot of people could use the instruction that has provided very practical application to help people begin to pay off debt and start organizing and managing the resources that God has entrusted to them so they can start to win with their money and be set up to be more generous with their lives. If you're interested in signing up for that right after service, you can head into the connections room and talk to Pastor Rich or any of the group's representatives there and they'll get you signed up. But let's continue with Jesus' story in verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. There was a sense of urgency there. And he gained five bags more. So also the one who, with two bags of gold gained two more. They both doubled their money. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Question. Over the past year... How have you done with what God has given you to manage? Have you given the first fruits? Have you been profitable with what's left over? Second question, a year from now, how do you want your answer to that question to be different? It will only be different to the degree that you apply what God teaches us in his word. Share a story with you from Joe Sango from last week. Of a time, there was a family, this is a true story, a family that approached him, a family of four, two parents, two teenage children that were really struggling in their finances, and they asked Joe to provide them with some financial coaching. So he agreed to meet with them, and he sat down, and one of the first questions was, how much does your family plan to spend on groceries for the coming month? And they replied with $150. And he was kind of confused. He says, maybe you misunderstood the question. I didn't mean... How much do you plan on spending per week on groceries or per person per month? He goes, I mean, how much does your entire family of four with two teenagers plan to spend on groceries for the next month? And they once again said $150, and we're trying to get that down to $100. 
And so reluctantly, he entered $150 in the budgeting spreadsheet that he was, you know, working on and told them, he's like, you're going to be a really skinny family if you try to adhere to a $150 a month grocery budget with two teenagers. But he put it down and he continued to enter some of the other expenses that they had. And they got to a category that they titled goats. And he's like, what are you talking about goats? And they're like, well, we belong to an agricultural organization known as 4-H and we own goats. And, uh, So every day, we drive 45 minutes each way, twice a day, to feed the goats. He goes, wow, how much does that cost per month? They said $400. And so he enters $400 into the budgeting spreadsheet, and immediately their budget is overspent. The number turned red, and after finishing the rest of the expenses, he excitedly turns to them. He said, I've got great news for you guys. You can win with your money. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're in the red. How is that even possible? He's like, when's the next time you go to feed the goats? They're like, later this afternoon. He's like, awesome. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to drive there. You're going to kill the goats. Then you're going to process them and eat them. You can solve your goat outgoing problem and your grocery budget problem at the same time. And they just looked at him and never invited him back again. (laughs) But I got news for you. It would have worked. It's true. It would have worked. No offense, Alice, if you have a goat farm. Most of us are like, this is a ridiculous story, Pastor. None of us have goats except for Alice Clarkson, who has like 20-some goats on her farm. You might not have goats, but can we just be honest for a minute here and admit that we've all had goats in our lives at one time or another? Maybe not literal goats, but I'm talking about things that we needed to slaughter in order to be able to make ends meet. For my wife and I, I think it was about nine years ago, shortly after we moved from Buffalo, New York to Columbus, Ohio in 2012, um, we had gone from being a two-income family to a one-income family. Before we moved, Kelly had a successful photography business. I had a great job in the marketplace, and we believed God was calling us to Columbus, where I would step into my calling and be in vocational ministry. Kelly was unable to really get the photography business up and running after we moved, and we just felt like the Lord was closing the door on that season of our lives. And so we felt like we just needed to trust him and focus. She was like, I just want to be a stay-at-home mom and provide a safe place for you to come home to. And so about a year after we moved, Joe Sangle came to the church I was on staff at, and we started reorganizing our finances and actually started living according to a budget for the first time in our lives. And so about a year in, we, uh, my, my, my vehicle's lease came to maturity. It was a three-year lease, and we made the very difficult decision that even though some could argue that we needed two cars— because I had to go to work and she would have to, you know, do grocery shopping and run errands, we made the difficult decision to actually not renew my lease. Because at the time, I had a ridiculously low lease payment. It was $124 a month. I was paying for my Ford Fusion. Man, wouldn't it be nice to get that kind of a deal again? But we're like, you know what? That deal's not available anymore, and uh, now it would cost, cost more than twice that. And so I didn't lease a new car. We didn't purchase a new car or a used car. We made the decision that we would get by with one vehicle, which meant that there were days where, you know, she's like, I've got to run errands. i got to go grocery shopping. She would drop me off at work. She'd run her errands and either pick me up at the end of the day or I'd get a ride home from one of my coworkers or I would walk home. 
we lived just a little more than a half mile from the church, which was super convenient. So there were many days I actually walked home from work because we were committed to living within our means and sticking to a budget. So the second vehicle for us was the goat that we were willing to sacrifice in order to live within our means. So for you, it might be a boat. It might be a motorcycle. It might be the too big a house you have right now or some other really large financial obligation that is literally eating your lunch. So my question to all of you today is, what goat do you need to go home today and slaughter to make ends meet? Think about it. we got to be reminded that God owns it all. Our giving, the first 10%, and the management of the rest. And he cares about what we do with the rest. Which leads to the third point I have today is that we will all be held accountable. We will all be held accountable. Look at what Jesus said in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you're a believer in Jesus, one day our master is going to come back and settle accounts with everyone. And when that day happens, he's going to ask each one of us two questions. The first question he's going to ask is, what did you do with my son Jesus? And the second question is, what did you do with what I gave you? I am telling you, this is a much bigger deal than most of us realize, that every single one of us is gonna have to give an account to God for how, what we did with what he gave us. And as I look at this story, to me, there are three categories uh, or three different types of people. Two are obvious, one not so obvious. And as I talk through the three categories, I want you to try and identify which category you fall into. And the first category is people who have managed their money well. People who have managed their money well. Look at what Jesus said in verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Earlier in the parable, Jesus said these two servants went at once and put their money to work and doubled the money that they were entrusted with. And hopefully this is your story. You have applied God's word. You have honored him with the first fruits. And God has blessed you. And you have, you have seen margin. You've seen increase in your life. And I hope that's your story. And if it is, good job. Congratulations. But I want to tell you, I want to encourage you and challenge you to do three things. And number one is thank God. Thank him for blessing you. Thank, thank him for his word. Thank you for being faithful to uphold the promises that he has given us through his word. Thank God for it. Number two, tell other people. Have you noticed that this world is desperate and craving some real, solid, dependable, biblical financial wisdom? There's a whole lot of people out there that would claim to be financial experts, but they might not be doing it God's way. And so tell other people, you are a living example and witness of the faithfulness of God. 
that when we live our lives God's way, he blesses. So tell your children, tell your grandchildren, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell, your, tell anybody that will listen. And number three, guard your heart. Guard yourself because it's easy for us to start to let pride creep in and be like, man, look at me. I'm, I'm doing really well for myself. Look at my 401k. There's a million dollars in there, man. I'm doing pretty good. Well, to steal a joke from Joe Sangle, I don't know if you were here last week when he said it, but when the market tanks and your 401k becomes a 201k and then a box of special K, are you still a financial wizard then? We have to guard ourselves against the temptation to put our trust in the provision rather than in provider. He is the one who provides. So guard your heart. But the second category of people, after those who've managed their money well, is those who've managed their money poorly. And that's the case of the third servant who buried his bag of gold. We pick up his story in verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Listen to this. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Whoo! Jesus isn't mincing words here. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are the verses that when we read them in the New Testament, we just skim really, past, really fast past them. I love it when I hear people that don't really know much about the Bible talk about, well, yeah, the God of the Old Testament, he seems really mean, but New Testament, Jesus is all about love and grace and mercy and everyone's okay. And I'm like, whoa, have you read the New Testament? Like, these are some harsh, harsh words from Jesus. And this third servant simply expressed what a lot of us have felt. He said, I was afraid. How many of you have been fearful before when you looked at the balance in your bank account and you realized that there's more month than there is money left? Or when you run into an unexpected emergency or a medical bill and you don't know how you're going to pay for it and that fear takes a hold of you. We've all been there before. But the punishment that Jesus said this master gives this wicked and lazy servant seems so harsh. Because this third servant, it's not like he lost it all. He protected and kept what was given to him and gave it back to Jesus. He's like, look, here's what you gave me. But the, Jesus doesn't just want us to, to hoard and hide and, and protect what God gave us. He wants us to use what God gives us and make it grow and increase. Hearkening back to Genesis when he created man and woman, he says, be fruitful and multiply. God wants us to grow what he entrusts to us. That's being a wise steward of what he gives to us. And so I, as I look at the story, I mentioned there were three categories of people. And I realized that this third category of people aren't even represented in the story. 
In fact, it represents the majority of people in our country today. And the third category is those who are really missing from the story. They're missing because they spent everything that God gave them and financed even more. Think about it. This third man, this third servant, kept what was given to him. But nearly 70% of people in our country today live paycheck to paycheck, broke to broke, and are struggling. And if we were to write them into the story, it would read like this. I know you gave me one bag of gold, but I spent it, and I financed several other things, and now I need a loan to pay off those things as well. And some of you are starting to feel really uncomfortable right now. And if that's your situation, you might be like, you might have joked in the past, like, man, I'm so broke to rub two nickels together, I need to borrow one. I'm so broke, even my nervous breakdown is on layaway. I'm so broke that when people ring my doorbell, I have to yell, ding dong, out the window. I'm so broke that if a thief, if a thief robbed me, he'd just be practicing. I'm so broke, I can't even afford to pay attention. But here's some not so funny, I'm so broke statements that we make if we fall into this category. I'm so broke that I took what was supposed to be my giving dollars and instead I financed a truck with it. And you really need a bumper sticker that says, I'm driving my tithe. Ooh. Yeah, I went there. Your toes hurt yet? I'm so broke, I spend more money than I make each month, and I use my credit card to make up the difference. These aren't funny. But as a church... I want you to know that you can be free. This doesn't have to be your story. This doesn't have to be the cycle that you stay stuck in. That's why we're doing the series. That's why we're offering the I was broke, now I'm not group study, so that you can learn the principles of figuring out how to get out of the mess that you're in and learn to be financially free so that you can pursue the dreams that God has put in your heart to do. We are passionate about helping you to fund the, the plans, hopes, and dreams that God has put in your hearts. Because if you're a follower of Jesus and God's glory is your main aim in life, then I believe the, the dreams that you have, the things that, that you wake up hoping and, and dreaming that one day if, if I can get out of this mess, I would love to do this. See, the number one thing that keeps people from pursuing their dreams is debt and financial limitation. But we want to equip you to fund the dreams that God has put in your heart to do. So I wonder, what category are you in today of the three that I mentioned? If you're in categories two or three, those who manage their money poorly or those who are not even in the story because they spent everything and then financed even more, my challenge to you is to be a part of the story and begin moving towards the first category where you start to manage your money well. And you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Some of you need to change the confession of your mouth because you spend all day, every day saying, I'll never, I'm a, I can't ever imagine getting out of this debt. I'm always gonna be broke. I'm always gonna owe this. I'm never gonna get, hold on a second. How about you say, with God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That through him all things are possible. 
But it's going to require you saying no to a lot of things that you've been in the habit of saying yes to and applying God's word into your life and walking in obedience. It struck me this morning as I was praying. I, I, I joined the prayer team every Sunday morning before the first service begins. I don't dare take this stage until they've anointed me with oil and, and pray because it's not my words. It's not my wisdom. It's God's word. And I want that to be what people hear. And so when, when they were praying for me this morning, the Holy Spirit brought to my attention the verse in Hebrews, I think it is. I don't know chapter and verse, but it says that even Jesus had to learn obedience through the things he suffered. And it struck me that how many people have suffered in this area of personal finance. And I'm hoping and praying that through what you've suffered, you would learn obedience and you would get so sick and tired of being stuck in the same rut that you would actually open yourselves up to walking in obedience to what God's word teaches us about how to manage and steward the rest after we give him the first. Be a part of the story. And so be, speaking of being a part of the story, I wanted to invite all of you here today to be a part of a story that is literally unfolding before our eyes at this very church. If you've been around for longer than a few weeks, then you've heard us talk about the growth and even the third service that we're adding starting next Sunday to make room for those that God is sending here as he continues to grow the family of believers that are gathering here each week. And so if you are newer to Life Church, I wanted to give you a brief snapshot of where we've come from and what God has done in our midst over the last six and a half years or so. See, I moved back from Columbus, Ohio in 2016, and from June of 16 to June of 2017, I co-pastored with the founding pastor of the church, my predecessor and my spiritual father, Craig McLeod. Many of you know him. Um, we co-pastored for a year, and then I was officially installed as the lead pastor here in June of 2017. And since that time, what we have seen take place in this church is nothing short of a miracle and a move of God. And I wanted to share with you some of the, the growth we've experienced, first in terms of weekly attendance, just the number of people that are gathering to worship God each weekend. In 2017, we were averaging just over 250 people a weekend. In 2018, that grew to 369. In 2019, it was 513. I skipped 2020 because that is just, I'm gonna pretend like that doesn't exist. And for most churches, that was, that was an asterisk. It's just like COVID. Okay, let's move past that. And just this, past, this year alone, we have bumped into the thousand number six different times and we've averaged over 930 people a weekend every single week. Even more awesome, though, than the number of people sitting in a seat on Sunday morning, which is great, but I care more about people experiencing life change. And the number of people we've seen make a decision to surrender their lives to Jesus and place their faith in him has been nothing short of miraculous. In 2017, 85 people made that decision. In 2018, 134 people. In 2019, 188 people. Last year, we saw 202 people make that decision. And in the first eight months of this year, we've already seen 280 people start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on. Woo! And of those, those who've gone public with their faith through baptism, check this out. In 2017, it was 60 people. In 2018, 64. 2019, 71. Listen, in the first eight months of this year, we've seen 115 people already take their next step in baptism. I've grown up in church my entire life, and I have never seen anything like what we've witnessed in the last six years. This is not normal. Guys, in the last six and a half years, check this out, we have witnessed a total of 1,139 people say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
553 of those get baptized and go public and tell the world, I belong to Jesus. God is doing something special here. I believe revival is happening. We're not just praying and asking and waiting for a move of God. I believe we are in the middle of a move of God right now. And listen, I've heard some criticism over the years of like, why do you guys talk about numbers so much? Why, why are you always so focused on numbers? If you've been around for a while, you've heard this statement before. If you're newer, I'm going to say it again. I believe this is true with all of my heart. The reason we talk about numbers is because behind every number is a name. Behind every name is a story. And every single story matters to God. Every single story is of a life made in his image on purpose for a purpose. When I see these numbers, I don't see numbers. I see faces. I see families. I see generations that are changed. I see kids growing up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord and not repeating the same mistakes that their parents' generation made. I see marriages being restored. I see people being set free from addiction. I see people being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I see people who had no hope walking with hope and freedom and purpose. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. And I refuse I will never, ever apologize for being a church that celebrates every single story of life change. We're not boasting about numbers just so we can say, look how big we are, aren't we awesome? No, I am boasting in the glory and power of Jesus Christ that is still alive today and still transforming people. That's my boast, is that Jesus is alive and he's building his church. Every story matters to God, and one of those stories belongs to a kid named Nate Meyer. And Nate has become very close to my family because he's now my oldest son's best friend. And he and his family started attending this church a little over a year ago. And it's not that Nate didn't know anything about God because he grew up in church, but he didn't have a full grasp and understanding of what it meant to have a relationship with God. His mom would take him to church but it wasn't really personal until he started coming here and started making friends. And Nate's a very gregarious kid and, you know, very outgoing. A lot of, he quickly and easily made a lot of friends. And um, as he started to witness some of the kids in the student life ministry, he started attending the middle school ministry. And some of his friends in the middle school ministry were making decisions to follow Jesus and then going public with their faith through baptism. And he went home and started asking his mom, like, what is baptism all about? And do I need to do that? And, and what does it mean? And, and he's like, you? so he knew that his friend Sammy, who's my son, you know, that his dad pastored the church. And so he asked his mom, he's like, do you think we could, you know, maybe ask Pastor Pete for a meeting? I'd love to ask him some questions. And so um, late last year, probably in the fall, his mom texted my wife and said, hey, would you mind if, are you guys home? Is it okay if we come over? And so about eight o'clock one night last fall, um, Nate and his mom stopped over and she just turned to her son and said, go ahead, ask him the questions you wanted to ask him. And so he started saying, okay, so we, we just had baptisms, and I was curious to know, like, what does that mean? Why, why are we supposed to get baptized? And what does it symbolize? And, like, do, how do I qualify for that? Like, is there something that is supposed to come before that? And so we got to explain to him that baptism always follows someone's personal decision to go all in with Jesus, to decide for themselves that I believe 
This isn't just about going to church. This isn't just about what my mom, you know, has taught me and, and all of that stuff. No, I, I believe for myself that Jesus is who he said he is, the only son of God who lived a sinless and perfect life, born of a virgin, died on a cross to pay for the sin of mankind, rose again three days later, and through faith and trust in him, I can be forgiven of all my sins and promised eternal life with him. That's what we got to explain to him. And, and so my wife used the analogy of like, Nate, you need to have, for those of you that are old enough to remember this phrase, a DTR conversation with God. A define the relationship. Like, is this just gonna be what you do and you go to church on Sundays and it's just kind of this thing or are you gonna actually follow Jesus? Do you believe that he is who he is and that you're gonna follow him no matter what? Have that conversation with God. Go home, pray about it. And then after you make that decision, yes, you can and should immediately, as soon as you're able to, get baptized. Because that is a public profession of what God has done on the inside of you. And so a few weeks later, we had a night of worship here on a Wednesday night. And Nate had an experience that he's never had before. And he went to Pastor Jordan and Hunter Johnson, one of our student life leaders, and explained to them, like, I just felt something all over my body that I've never felt before, and I don't know what it is. And so Pastor Jordan and Hunter got to explain to them that the Holy Spirit will sometimes come upon a person to draw them in so they can come to an understanding that Jesus wants a relationship with you. And he says, I've never given my life to Jesus. Can I do that now? And so Pastor Jordan and Hunter got to lead him in a prayer. He gave his heart to Jesus. And now Nate loves to wholeheartedly worship. And earlier this year, he took the step to publicly get baptized. And now Nate is on fire for Jesus. He's reading his Bible every day. He wants to wear Christian t-shirts so that he can go to school and be a witness and let everyone know who he is and what he believes. I'm so excited for stories like Nate's. This is not just about numbers. This is about every single person being placed on this planet by God on purpose, for a purpose, and them discovering what that purpose is. Every story matters to God and it matters to us. From a handful of families that were meeting in a banquet hall 17 years ago to now a congregation over a thousand people a weekend, that vision, that dream is becoming a reality where we are a family on mission becoming a movement that is impacting lives locally and around the world. And so last year, as we were looking at where the trend line of our growth was taking us, we realized that we needed to start getting proactive once again about making more room for the people that God was sending us, especially in our kids and student areas, because that was the fastest growing segment of our congregation was young families and kids and students, which is amazing. And so we're like, okay, we approached the architect that had designed this building. We said, what would it be like you know, to add a whole second story to the kids' life wing? And once we found out how much that would cost, we were like, okay, next idea. That was way too expensive. And so we kind of reimagined, we were like, okay, how about this? What if we reclaimed the stage, the old stage from the foyer, which used to be our old auditorium, and came out into the foyer a little bit and built a room within the foyer? And so the architect, let me see what I can do. A couple weeks later, he comes back with a set of plans for an 1,100 square foot room that you have been seeing constructed over the last couple of months. And so not only does 
that creates space for our middle schoolers who used to meet in the old, uh, at the end of the kids' life hallway, and now gives them 400 more square feet to accommodate more middle schoolers. But by vacating the room they used to meet in, now kids' life has another room to keep growing. And so we've created more space. And last Sunday was the first Sunday our middle schoolers got to use that room. And you guys, it was packed. We had almost 40 kids in that room learning about Jesus, being discipled. And listen, it's not just a middle school room. We're gonna call this the legacy room because legacies are being changed. This is a multi-purpose room that is gonna enable us to do growth path, team trainings, alpha, I was broke, now I'm not, other small group meetings, first Thursday prayer. A lot of lives are gonna be impacted by the ministry that happens in that new room. We're doing, and not only have we created more space for kids and students, but by adding a third service starting next Sunday, we're doing our best to create more space for the adults that are coming too. Because as you can see, and even more so in the first service, we're getting pretty full here. And so as new people come, we want to make sure that we're spread out and they feel like there's room for them to be a part of what God is building here. So we're doing everything we know to do to maximize this facility, to create as much space as we can for the people that God is sending us. But clearly this expansion costs some money. It does. Building costs money. And so just a couple of the things to give you an idea of, you know, what we need to do and what we have done. Earlier this year, if you were a part of our church during Easter time, we added a whole bunch of parking lots to the front of the property. We need to finish paying for that. And thankfully it was done the day before Easter when we had 1,500 people show up. All right, so we need to finish paying for that. We need to finish paying for the construction of that middle school room and the air conditioning that was added to it. We had to purchase chairs and other equipment for that room. We are renovating our foyer right now, which is gonna cost some money. We have to finish paying for the electrical work and the new air conditioning that was added to the foyer as well. We've gotta, we've gotta add uh, lights to the poles in the parking lot out front so that as it starts to get darker earlier and earlier and we have evening events here, we gotta make sure that as people are leaving, it's safe and they can see what's happening out there. We have to finish planting trees to satisfy the civil engineering plan that the town of West Seneca is gonna require of us to you know, have our certificate of occupancy. We have to fix and repair the entrance and exit driveways. As you're heading out, I'm sure you've seen the crumbling blacktop at the mouth of the exit driveway. We've gotta repair that, that's gonna cost some money. So there's all these things. And listen, we, if you volunteer in Kids Life, I know that you've been asking us for years to add air conditioning to the Kids Life wing of the building. I promise you it's coming. Those of you that don't know, some of the rooms back in Kids Life are air conditioned with a little window unit that sort of adequately conditions some of the rooms, but some of the rooms have no air conditioning at all. And if you've been in there, whoo, it gets warm and sticky and smelly when you got a bunch of kids running around sweating and it's just bad. And so, but that is a very costly uh, expense. It's going to cost us somewhere in the tune of $90,000 to add air conditioning to the kids' life wing of the building. So between everything we have done in the spring with the parking lots, everything we're doing with the room, everything we want to do with air conditioning is going to cost us somewhere to the tune of $340,000, which I know seems like a lot of money, but I am fully confident that God is going to meet that need with every person in this room and those that were here in the first service who are part of the family that God is building here. 
I know it seems like a lot of money, but here's the cool thing. I believe that leaders always go first. And so between what we have challenged the staff with and how about a month ago, we approached some leaders in our church. We talked to some of the parents of kids and students in our kids and student ministries, as well as volunteers. And we said, hey, would you partner with us? I'm excited to announce to you that of the $340,000 need, we've already had $156,000 pledged to be given over the next 90 days. That's awesome. Which makes this very, very doable. We average about 750 adults every single weekend here between the two services. If 460 of the 750 adults gave just $400 over the next 90 days, we would raise $184,000. That's how doable it is. But I also recognize that not everyone here can give $400. Some of you are already drowning and you're struggling just to figure out how you're going to honor God with the first fruits, much let alone give above and beyond the tithe. And so I recognize that, but there are others of you, on the other hand, who can give way more than, 10, than, than $400. So I wanted to give you just a quick snapshot of what it would look like for a church like ours to be able to raise $184,000 in 90 days. All right, so check this out. If two people gave just $10,000, and I say just because there are some people in our church, and some of you might look at that like, who has $10,000 that they could just write a check for? There are some who have done very well for themselves, and have margin, have surplus. I know not a lot, but that's why the number's only two. So if two people gave 10,000, 10 people gave 5,000, 25 people gave 1,000, 100 people gave $500, another 100 gave $300, and I've seen students, listen, I've seen 13-year-olds pledge $300 over the next 90 days. If 90 people gave just $100 over the next 90 days, that would equal $184,000. That is so doable. And listen, it is not about how much you give. Please hear me in this. It's about how much you give in accordance with your ability. How did Jesus start the parable? He distributed to each according to their own ability. So if you don't have the ability to give $1,000, don't give $1,000 and don't stress about it. If you have the ability to give $50 over the next 90 days, give $50. And if you feel like I'm trying to twist your arm and see like, oh, here it is, I knew it was coming. They just want more money from us. Then please don't give. I don't want you to give under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm simply inviting you to be a part of the story and to invest the extra that God has given you and, and put it into fertile soil that is producing fruit. I don't know if you see it, but the evidence of God's spirit moving is very apparent here. And I, for one, would rather put my money into a place that is seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ than try to hoard more for myself. And so if you would like to be a part of this story with us and would like to partner with us by pledging to give whatever you feel comfortable giving over the next 90 days, there's two ways you can let us know. The first is through this pledge card. We have a stack of these out in the foyer. Our Next Steps team would love to hand one of these to you. It's a very simple form that just asks for your name and address. And on the bottom it says, I plan to honor a three-month pledge for the total sum provided. And you write in what you plan to give over the next 90 days. The other way you can let us know is by, if you would prefer to fill this form out electronically, is there's going to be a QR code that pops up on the screen now that you can scan with your phone and fill an electronic version of this card out and let us know what you want to give over the next 90 days. And if you plan to give, please make sure you select building fund 
in the fund drop-down menu, or if you're gonna use a check, write it on the envelope building fund so that we can make sure it gets allocated to the $340,000 need that we have. Would you simply prayerfully consider giving above and beyond your tithe, above and beyond the first fruits, to be a part of the story that God is writing here at Life Church Buffalo, according to your ability. And again, if you feel like I'm trying to manipulate you or coerce you or guilt you or shame you into giving, please do not give. I want you to give out of obedience to what God has called you to do and out of gratitude for what you get to be a part of as God is building his family here at Life Church Buffalo. Just pray about it and simply obey what God tells you to do. So I'm gonna give you my final point today. So we've learned that we have, we all have to deal with money. Second is that God has blessed each one of us. Third is that we're all gonna be held accountable. And the fourth is that we can be financially free. Every single one of us can be financially free. Listen, God is not inspired by your wealth or how much money you have in your 401k or your bank account or how many investments you have. God is inspired when he sees our response to his word and the commitment of our lives to him. And so if you're somebody who feels like, man, my situation, it would take a miracle to get out of the mess that I'm in. Guess what? I've got good news for you. I know a miracle worker. His name is Jesus. And what might seem impossible with man, all things are possible with God. And next week, we're going to finish the series with a story of a financial miracle, and I promise you are not going to want to miss it. And if you don't have the faith to believe that God can do for you what, you're believe, what you would wish he would do, can, can I lend you some of my faith? Because he's done miracles in my life. And I've seen him do miracles in other people's lives. And I am confident and convinced that what he has done for me and others, he can and he will do for you if you will simply walk in obedience and apply his word to your life. Amen? Let me pray for us. God. Thank you for your word. I know it's hard hitting. I know it's convicting at times. But God, I thank you that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if anyone is here today feeling condemned and shamed and beaten up, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come to them right now and rebuke the enemy, rebuke the liar right now who is an accuser of the brethren and speak truth to them. God, I thank you that you lovingly come beside us to convict us, to show us where we've gotten off, but gives us the hope and the grace and the strength at the same time to get on the right path. And so too often in the church, especially in charismatic circles, we've prayed for a miracle and we just want a financial windfall and we just want to win the lottery and we want God to do all the work for us. But one of the most unloving things God could ever do for people who haven't learned to walk in obedience is to come into a large sum of money because they're just going to waste it and spend it on themselves and wind up in an even worse spot. And so God, you are coming to us today and wanting us to see, Lord, that you want to partner with us to manage and steward the balance of what we have left after we've given you the first fruits. That you care a great deal about us being fruitful and multiplying and growing what you've entrusted to us to manage. And so God, for those people who are here today or watching online that feel hopeless because of how much debt they're in, God, I pray that you would instill faith, 
in them to believe that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that they can ask for or even imagine according to the power that is at work within us. So God, in addition to that faith and that hope that you are giving your people right now, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to make the tough choices. To go home and think about what goats we might need to slaughter. Think about what changes we need to make so that we can start honoring you and being better stewards of what you've entrusted to us. And the ultimate goal, God, is that we would be able to live the life that you've intended us to live, pursue the dreams you've put in our hearts, and so that we can be a blessing to others and live generous lives. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it transforms us. Thank you that it's sharp and it cuts and sometimes it hurts. But sometimes we need to go through the pain before we experience the healing and the restoration. So Lord, would you do spiritual surgery right now and help us to take away from this what you want us to know and what step you want us to take and help us to just be obedient one step at a time. God, I thank you that you are God and not a man that you should lie and that you are faithful and you will be faithful to prove yourself over and over again. God, thank you for being trustworthy. God, we place our lives and our finances into your hands. Help us to be better stewards of what you've put in our hands and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, church, I'm excited for what God is going to do in your lives as you go home and talk with your spouse or, you know, look at your budget to see what goats you're going to slaughter. No offense, Alice. Um, As our Dream Team members get into position to serve you with excellence on your way out, let me just remind you that if you are not in a life group, uh, you can remedy that today. Sign up for a life group. You can stop by the Connections Room to uh, sign up and ask any questions you have. Also, next week, three services. So this is the last Sunday of an 11 o'clock service time. All right, 8, 9.30, and 11.15 are the three service times next Sunday. So make sure you take note of that, put it in your calendar, you know, set your alarm, whatever you gotta do. Three services begins next week. Uh, Love you guys. Hope you have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next week.